0: And R.C. Sproul was speaking to a group of students many years ago, and someone asked him a question. They said, Dr. Sproul, in your opinion, what is the greatest spiritual need in the world today? Dr. Sproul paused, and he said, the greatest need... In people's lives today is to discover the true identity of God. He said most non religious people don't even know the God they're rejecting, otherwise, they would give up the fight. And then the student fired back another question, a follow up question, and said, What about the church? What is the greatest need with church people today? And Sproul fired back the exact same answer. He said to discover the true identity of God. He said if believers understood the character and personality and nature of God, listen to this. He said it would revolutionize their lives. Revolutionize their lives. If you and I would begin to really understand, not just in our mind, but in our heart and our soul, What God is really and truly like, it would revolutionize the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, and the way we see our purpose in this crazy, broken world that we all live in. So, revolutions have to start somewhere. So, let's start right here. In the book of Psalm, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. God knows everything. God knows you. God is everywhere. God is with you everywhere you go. God loves you and if you're in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. He has a deep abiding love for you and God also knows about the details of your life. He knew knew about the details of your life when you were a gleam in your mother and father's eye. Before you were born, God planned your birthday party. He's always had his eye on you. He has made you, he has designed you in a holy and sacred way. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies, what we can see outside when we look in the mirror is we try to adjust, put on makeup and do things to look our very best. But what we can't see on the inside, listen to Bill Bryson, he says, your lungs smoothed out. If they smoothed out, they would cover a tennis court. The airways within them would stretch nearly from coast to coast. The length of your blood vessels would take you two and a half times around the earth. And the most remarkable part of all is your DNA, right? Our DNA. You have a meter of it packed into every cell and so many cells that if you formed all the DNA in your body into a single strand, it would stretch ten Billion, with a B, miles to beyond Pluto. Think about it. There's enough of you to leave the solar system. You are the most literal sense. In the most literal sense, you are truly cosmic. You are designed by God. You not only have designer genes... You are designer, as the great Ric Flair would say, head-to-toe, custom-made. Woo! Right? It's pro-wrestling for those of you who didn't watch that great show. (laughs) God was concerned about the details of your life, your body, who you are, your personality, your inner being, your soul, before you came onto the scene. Before you came out of the womb, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I like that. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And I know that full well. Do you know that full well? Do you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God? He's not just a creator, he's a designer of life. And he gets into the intricate details of you and me. When I was a grad student, I lived a good part of the summer in Amsterdam. I know what you're thinking. It wasn't for that. That's another message. I was in Amsterdam, believe it or not, doing mission work. I was a missions organization, and, and we went there to try to get into conversations and talk to people and do outreaches to talk to them about God and to share the gospel with them. I, I'm serious. So that's what I did, you know, day in and day out. I can remember going, if you know, even back in, in the 80s, drugs and everything, prostitution was legal by the government in Holland and Amsterdam. And I can remember going out to an outreach. We'd have these dramas we would do in the streets and then we'd try to present the gospel. But the whole streets smelled you know, like you know, marijuana. It did. So you're going, you know, to go witness and you're just breathing in, you know, this secondhand purple haze and I remember kind of paraphrasing the apocalypse now. I love the smell of weed when I'm going to preach. But anyway, <laughs> I was young. So <laughs> I was in Amsterdam and I remember a family from our church, I think a deacon actually uh, brought his family over to Europe and they were touring and they knew that I was there. And so they called me up there in the compound that I was staying in and said, hey, I want to take you out for lunch and we want to take you to the Rijksmuseum. Now the Reichs Museum is one of the most famous museums, art museums in the world. I'm sure many of you have been there before. They have over eight thousand paintings. They have Rembrandts. They got Van Goghs and you know Vermeer and all these famous you know artists and painters and stuff. And it's just a massive, incredible museum. And they took me there and we went through a tour. But I just kind of walked. I mean, I'm just you know, I just kind of walked through and yeah. What does all these paintings have to do with anything? It's not really important. And, and I just kind of waltzed my way through it. I didn't appreciate it at all. It was great to see the folks from Houston, someone you know, but I didn't appreciate all the magnificent works of art that were hanging on the wall. Now, fast forward many years to this summer, okay? The summer I had a little bit of procedure done a tiny surgery, and so I had to recover. And part of my recovery is sitting in a chair and doing nothing, okay? Which that's very difficult for me to do, okay? The young family in general is not really good at that. Uh, Some worse than others, they'll go on unnamed, but. So I borrowed this chair, and I call it a posture chair, okay? It's, it's like a lazy boy, but it's not, it's medical. Because it doesn't really truly recline, it kind of buzzes back. But if you've had surgery where something's been broken, you know, like I have, it keeps you in that good posture. Many nights I've actually slept most of the night in that chair, I've worked in that chair. So I've, I haven't had the chance to, to sit in that chair. And one of the things I've done this summer early on as I sit in the chair is I'm sorry, I want to look at some works of art. So this is a brand new thing called the YouTube. And so I pulled up on the YouTube these different works of art. I'm, I'm going to share it with you. So I just pulled up like, you know, I don't know if that's Shazan or how you say it, and just kind of, you, you can kind of go through it on the video, slowly, and you can just kind of look. Man, it's just, and I, just, I would just sit there in the chair looking at these works of art. Monet, and of course, the goat, the original selfie, Van Gogh, right? I would just look at these beautiful works of art. I would just lose myself the summer in the colors and and the scenery and the people. And and I would wonder about the artists and the painters and what motivated them and what drove them to make these masterpieces, right? What did that? And of course, you know, being a free market capitalist, I'm like, I wonder how much some of these paintings, originals, would cost, okay? So I looked up that one right there, Starry Nights by Vincent van Gogh, and van Gogh, by the way, as you know, painted Starry Nights when he was trying to recover from depression in a mental asylum in southern France, and that's what the view was outside of his window, and so even in his pain, even his his depression and his state Uh, he was able to create this beautiful work of art that today, if you wanted to buy it after church, you'd need a check for about $111 million. If you want to buy the Mona Lisa, you may want to call Elon Musk. It'll cost you well over a billion dollars. Listen, God's word tells us today that you are a masterpiece. You're more you're worth much more than Mona Lisa, much more than an original Monet, much more than Starry Nights, much more. You were made. And designed by by the creator of all reality, the artist of artists who made all these artists and gave them their ability to create and to reflect this art, God designed you. You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that? Do you know that? I want you to do something that may make a few of you uncomfortable. I want you to look to your neighbor on your left and your right and say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do that right now. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. All right, enough. I didn't say talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer. Just (laughs) fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know that? Do I know that? Listen, it's it's not about self-esteem. I want my kid to have good self-esteem. No, it's about God esteem. I want my child, my grandchild to have good self-image. No, it's not about that. It's about God's image in them. You're special because God is special. You're wonderfully made and designed from head to toe, a designer from head to toe, a work of art so valuable, worth, billions and trillions. It's uncalculable what you're worth because God has placed his worth on you and only God can do that and only God can define you and me. I can't define myself. I can't look in the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. I can do that till I'm blue in the face until I have gray or white hair, and it's not gonna do the trick. But when I listen to the God who made me, and I internalize this incredible, as Sproul said, revolutionary reality that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I really begin to know that fully, that changes everything. Now I want you to look at your neighbor again and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you do that? I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Bob. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am. Next man, I am. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Feels kind of weird and goofy doing that, doesn't it? I do. But it's true. I'm not saying something that's not true. I'm not making it up. This is a word that's come down from God that in one sense is thousands and thousands of years old. That billions of people around the earth from every nation, every tribe, every language, rich, poor, smart, dumb, PhD, no GED, people have gotten a hold of this reality and it has completely revolutionized their life to know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by the designer God. It changes everything, everything. You matter to God. You matter to God every person you lock eyes with matters to God. Even the person you work with that you simply cannot stand, matters to God. Even that special family member that drives you crazy Sometimes, matters to God. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're made in the image of God. Look, look for that image. Look for it. It takes time, doesn't it, for these... these truths to get into us, it does me. You know, for better or for worse, I've been a, a believer, a Christian for a long time. A lot of you have, a, but it takes time. You gotta put it in our minds over and over again. When I was in high school, uh, getting ready for a basketball game, I would go into my room. I had a stereo in my room, big old 45. And I would listen to the Beatles. And it was not the 60s, but Beatles, the best group of all time. Okay, so I would listen to the Beatles over and over and over and over again. That's the way I would get my mind calmed down to transition from schoolwork to getting ready to play basketball. I am the walrus, cuckoo, kajoo. But I listened to it and now as you know, an older guy approaching 32 years of age, I can almost quote most Beatles song like poetry. Now, luckily something happened in college. Someone gave me a cassette by a guy named Keith Green. So I transitioned from Ringo and Paul to Keith Green and I can quote him too, so. Don't write me. So check it out. The revolution for you and I begins in Psalm 139. Let's look look at verses 16 through 18. So so the point of the matter is this: we've got to keep going back to Psalm 139 again and again and again and again and again. And again. I don't mind seeing my favorite movie again and again and again and again. I don't mind listening to my favorite songs again and again and again and again and again. Do you? No, I don't. Then it gets inside of you. We, we have to go to this passage again and again and again. This is a song, by the way, Psalm 139. I don't know the tune and the melody. You know? It's in the Bible. It's probably country western. But anyway, verse 16. Check it out. Look what else he says. He says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God? How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Is that amazing? It's, it's crazy, right? We can't, we can't think about that. That's why last week he goes, Man, these thoughts are too wonderful to me. They're too lofty. They're mind blowing. It's like talking about quantum physics, right? I don't get it. But it's true, it's reality. We see the results of quantum physics, we see the results of understanding that God truly and deeply knows us and loves us. Hey, listen, if you go to the beach this summer, if you go to the beach this summer, man, just reach down and scoop up a handful of sand and let those thousands and thousands of grains of sand run through your fingers. And think about all Psalm 139. Think about that God's precious thoughts to you outnumber all the grains of sand on all the beaches around the entire world, right? All my days were ordained, God knows how Long I'm going to live. He knows when I'm going to go be with him. He has all my days, in a sense, planned out. His eyes were on me before I was born. His thoughts outnumber the sand. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, listen, this is, this is what God says. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I know it well. God's thoughts to me, not in a narcissistic way, outnumber the sand. That's how much God loves me. That's how much God loves you. God values you deeply, deeply, personally, intimately. He designed you before you even came on the scene. Only God can define you. Only God can truly say who you are and who I am. We have to trust what God says about us, not about what others say about us or about what our emotions or feelings are telling us about ourselves. We have to trust what God has said about us. I'm gonna take God's word over my fleeting roller coaster emotions, I'm gonna take God's word over my circumstances. Only God can define me. My past doesn't define me. My vocation doesn't define me. My hair color doesn't define me. My nationality doesn't define me. My race doesn't define me. God defines me. God says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And as I look around, he made a lot of us different. And that's a great, good thing but we're all made in the image of God. I'm going to trust his word. I know who God is and I know who I am because God tells me who I am. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a masterpiece. I'm an original. I am unique. You are unique. You are an original. We're a masterpiece. But check this out. We're not simply meant to be hung on a wall in the Louvre. Right? No, look at the parallel passage. Just this one verse, guys. Relax. Ephesians 2.10. Okay? Look at this. There's something for us to do, for we are God's handiwork. Some translations say we are his masterpiece. This is New Testament, this is gospel. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, a lot of us know the the verses before verse 10, right? We all know that. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not a gift for God that no one can boast. Yeah, it's about grace. It's all about grace. You have to have an inbreak of grace, really, to begin to see that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. We have to have an inbreak of God's grace and forgiveness to deal with the scars and the marring so we can proceed forward. We're saved by grace, we stand by grace. It's not about works. God doesn't need your works, but our neighbor does. God created us to do good works. We were designed for a purpose to work unto Him. We do good works here in His community, the church. We serve, we teach, we direct, we give, we pray, we sing. We help those in need, we help the children, we help the young folks, we mentor people, we go around the world to tell people the good news. We do good works. God has made us a masterpiece. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We've been given this message to give to others. And then we go out into the workplace, we go out into our schools and we go out with confidence and we go out comforted And we go out with courage because we know who our God is and we know he has work for us to do. He has a purpose for us to do. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, God has a work for us to do. We're a masterpiece, we're original, we're unique, and he's given us unique gifts and talents. He's given us different experiences, horrific ones and great ones to share with each other so that we can help and serve. And do these works that were what? Prepared beforehand, careful John Calvin, for us to do. It's wild, isn't it? Maybe Sproul was right. It, it, it could start a revolution in our life, in our church, to start really embracing these truths. Really owning it, really internalizing it. Confidence comfort, courage to face whatever is on your plate right now because you know who God is and you know who you are. Years ago, I read a book by uh, Dr. Paul. Brand, and he co-authored it with Philip Yancey. Dr. Brand's interesting, was an interesting guy. He grew up on the mission field in India. He became a doctor. I think he studied in London, and eventually he opened a hospital in Louisiana that specialized in helping people with leprosy. Leprosy, one of the most debilitating diseases that mankind has ever faced, and You know, one of the things it does is it takes away your ability to feel pain, to feel pain. And therefore you can't, you put your hand in the fire. You can't feel the fire. You hit a wall, you can't feel that pain. So Brand was also a bit of a philosopher too. He also wrote about the purpose of pain. But a story about Dr. Brand is he was helping a young man who um, his face had been just, greatly disfigured by the leprosy and he was working on his hand and he wanted to do some surgery on his hand and he was joking with the young guy and they were talking to a translator because he didn't speak English and so Dr. Brand put his arm around this young guy and said hey you know I can't do anything about your face but uh, I think I can help your hand and he goes, you yeah, us guys, we really don't care much about our face and stuff like that. You know, we, we're gonna be okay. And the young man started to, to sob, he started to cry. And Dr. Brand said to a translator, what, what did I say? What did I do? Did I, did I say something wrong? I was just joking. And the translator talked to the young man and said, no, you didn't say anything wrong at all. He said, the young man said, before I came here, no one had ever touched me for years, years. After working with lepers, his entire life, the title of his best-selling book was Fearfully and wonderfully made. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, how marred, how hurt, we all need God to put his arm around us and to hear those words, shall we? you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And just like that sower you see up there, we've got work to do. Let the revolution begin.